Hello and welcome to the December edition of the ESI Environmental Podcast. In this edition, we have features from Wheatley Solutions, looking at a streamlined water trading platform being developed with the Water Companies and the Environment Agency, explained by Simon Murray, and Jonathan Withy from the PlanetMark Environmental Certification, the Eden Project Indoors Programme, outlines the success some of the biggest companies in the UK have achieved to reduce emissions, energy consumption, waste and water use working with them. But as 2020 draws to a conclusion, I think everybody in business can look back at a year which nobody expected, and during which we have seen many businesses struggle through two periods of lockdown as the government tried to control the coronavirus. It is interesting that the reduced traffic has resulted in better air quality, that ecology and biodiversity have benefited as we spend more time at home. Many have found alternative ways of working with increased use of video conferencing rather than face-to-face meetings. Business travel has been reduced substantially. And interestingly, many companies are suggesting that that is how things will remain. There will be less travel for business, and this has called into question a number of large infrastructure projects. As a society, we're going to have to decide whether the changed working patterns are the new normal, or whether the hoped-for vaccines, which now seem to be coming into view, will result in a return to previous travel patterns and working practices. For many of our clients, there have been significant challenges. The furlough scheme has helped financially, but reducing the staff on site and the directives for minimal maintenance to reduce the amount of time remaining staff had to undertake key tasks has been difficult. With the furlough scheme came the potential risk that the staff furloughed had the key knowledge for emergency response in the event of spills or incidents. So the environmental risks of pollution were significantly increased. Many of our commercial clients are now looking very closely at office space to see whether it is a requirement to have a physical office or whether their staff could actually continue to work remotely using Zoom or Teams or any of the other platforms. I think we're only going to see the results over the next 12 to 24 months. However, it is possible for many staff to work from home using the internet or video conferencing. It is entirely likely as we go forward that there will be significant vacancies within the lettings and commercial sector and whether this property may be taken up as residential sites, we have yet to see. In the news and following on from my initial comments, the Heathrow Spur rail line has been delayed as we see changes to work and travel patterns. It's likely that there will be further delays to any additional runways at Heathrow. HS2, on the other hand, appears to be continuing at full pace, although once again the demand for such a service has to be questioned along with the mounting costs. The greatest concerns being raised currently seem to be that HS2 appears to be clearing the pathway and destroying many areas of ancient woodland many months in advance of the requirement to do so for the purposes of laying track. The Environmental Audit Committee has launched an inquiry following a session that was held in May of 2020 reviewing environmental impacts of the COVID-19 crisis. The review found that the recovery from the environmental impacts of the COVID crisis provided a short window of opportunity to keep global temperatures at manageable levels. The EAC's inquiry will consider how the post-pandemic recovery can be aligned with the UK's climate and environmental goals, politically important as the UK is hosting the COP26 meeting in 2021 and holds presidency of the G7. This does seem to provide the UK with the platform to take international leadership and to galvanise a green climate-friendly global response to the economic crisis caused by the pandemic. 
In correspondence seen by ESI from Rebecca Powell MP, the Parliamentary Undersecretary at the Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, to Philip Dunn, Chair of the Environmental Audit Committee, Rebecca Powell clearly stated that she recognised the need to balance increased pressures on our finite water resources with the combination of climate change and population growth in addition to the need to protect and restore our natural environment for the future. There are increasing and divergent pressures on our water resources. Rebecca Powell underlined the need to place measures to ensure that we have a sustainable supply of water for the future. The Public Accounts Committee has made several important recommendations on ways to achieve reductions in water consumption per capita, many of which were explored by the government during 2019. The 19th of August policy paper proposed setting a statutory target on overall demand for public water supply to maintain a focus on reducing leakage as well as household and non-household water use. Following on from this you may or may not be aware of the work undertaken by ESI over the past few years looking at water and water resource. Two of the podcasts on this channel relate specifically to water resource and availability. ESI has been retained by the 17 English and Welsh water companies to undertake a new project with three key strings initially. Firstly, to benchmark, to identify the volume and source of water used by the leisure sector for turf grass irrigation across England and Wales. Secondly, to achieve industry engagement, to work with the leisure sector governing and representative bodies to discuss water use, agree methods to reduce the sector's use of mains potable water supply and to seek sustainable alternatives in line with achieving the requirements laid out in the National Water Framework Strategy. Thirdly, solution development. To identify and agree best available management techniques, technologies and to identify funding sources available to help operators develop resilience plans and to reduce consumption of public water. So, why are the water companies paying ESI to develop and complete this project? I'm sure that you're aware we have, as I've mentioned, been working on this as a project for several years. And two of the previous podcasts, we looked specifically at water resource and availability. One of them was to promote a water awareness week for the golf sector, which coincided with the open that didn't happen in 2020. Incidentally, the Water Awareness Week will take place once again at a time to coincide with the Open in July at Royal St George's in Kent. In simple terms, with the increased consumption of water per capita, changing climate and rainfall patterns leading to longer dry periods and heavier, more intense rainfall events, and the increase in population, we are in a position where we no longer have sufficient water supplies to provide for the demand. The Environment Agency and the water companies are finding many different ways that they may be able to guarantee water supplies, including transferring water from one area to another, or one catchment to another, reducing leakage in our distribution networks, and to encourage the population to use less water. Much of the work that we are going to be doing on this project for the water companies is to look at discretionary water use. And the easiest way to think about discretionary water use is effectively anything that is not for potable purposes. So if it's not for drinking, cooking or for washing. The focus of the project will be on leisure and the use of water in turf irrigation, although there is a clear crossover with the work that we are doing with the agricultural sector. The initial stage of the project is to focus on engagement with the national associations and governing bodies of the various leisure sector organisations and operators involved in turf grass irrigation. We really need to understand the decision-making process around the use 
and source of water, but also to create a framework that will allow alterations to management techniques and to water sources over the next 10 years. Key elements of this project will be to look at agronomy, how turf grass is currently managed, grass species, and to see whether changes in operational methods of management may be able to deliver reductions in consumption of water. In addition to this, we will be looking at technologies, alternative supply sources, and the potential for funding sources to assist operators to look at projects that may help them to reduce their consumption. This project with the water industry should be seen very much as the olive branch being held out to an industry which is very heavily orientated towards the use of water and much of the water used for turf grass irrigation is currently potable mains. Simply put, we have to find alternative solutions. We cannot continue to use the volumes. They're just not available. One of the concerns I have from my knowledge of the industry is that if we're looking for alternative sources to move away from potable mains use, it may be the case that abstraction from either ground or surface water may not be applicable or an option for many organisations and operators in England and Wales. I'm sure many of you have seen the issues around over-abstraction of rivers, chalk streams that are no longer flowing, perils to water quality, reducing ecological diversity and decreasing and eroding a precious resource. All of these have to be taken into account when we are looking at where we are sourcing our water from. And to show the importance of creating a resilience plan, finding your own source of water, taking either winter abstraction or runoff, if you can create a formal or informal attenuation pond that you may be able to hold on to winter runoff and use it through spring and summer. All of these areas are going to be looked at within the project to come up with a range of potential options and alternatives together with funding. The project officially starts on the 1st of December and is scheduled to last between six and nine months. However, we've already had a fantastic response from many of the national associations and representative bodies for the turf industry across England and Wales. We are looking to schedule the first meeting in the middle of December. The date is yet to be confirmed. But this first meeting will create a starting point for a process of engagement. We have also set up a number of special interest groups within the project, drawing on the knowledge and expertise from those participating in the overall project. We have an agronomy group looking at management practices and types. We have a technology group looking at new innovations to look at water efficiency. Uh, we have another group looking at alternative sources of water supply and finally a group looking at the opportunities for potential funding for the various projects. So as the overall project develops we will have reports coming in from special interest groups with the specialist knowledge that we're drawing on from the various organisations both across the water sector and from the turf grass industry to pull together all of the potential options to help operators find solutions. If you're in the turf grass industry or the water industry and you're listening to this podcast and you have knowledge that you think may be able to help, then please let us know. And now it's time for the technology section of the podcast, which provides a platform for providers of new technology, new ideas, companies that are working with their clients to help improve environmental management and sustainability. And first up for this podcast, we have Weekly Solutions. Hi, everyone. I am Simon Murray from the software development company Weekly Solutions. It is exciting to talk to you about a project we have been working on called Weekly Water Source, 
a brand new cloud platform for the trade and sharing of water between abstraction license holders and others that might be interested in an alternate source for water, like golf courses to use for irrigation. But a bit of history first. Back in September 2019, Wheatley took the water trade to Innovate East, an event arranged by Angling Water and Essex and Suffolk Water. Abstractors, water companies, the Environment Agency and a range of other stakeholders were all represented. We explored people's perceptions on what water trade was, identified trade scenarios and looked at the blockers for trade. The outcome was a strong support for more local trade and sharing of water, highlighting a need for a trade platform to help abstractors connect, as well as navigate the complex regulations and, with the clear message, that it should include sharing from private water storage reservoirs with the desire to encourage more storage to be developed by abstractors, especially in those areas prone to drought. The main barrier to water trade is that abstractors do not trust the Environment Agency, especially with licence reform ongoing and the perceived threat in that an abstractor could have their licence reduced or revoked, especially if they are seen to not be needing all of the water they are permitted to take under licence, and it must be recognised that having water to trade does not mean the water allowed for under licence is not or will not be needed. Its availability is likely to be an impact of the variable weather patterns or that an abstractor has invested in their own storage to mitigate against drought. So why such strong support for the idea of a water trade platform? Well, we all know how the climate is changing and becoming more variable. How our water environment is managed must change along with it, and that includes how water is abstracted. There is universal support for a new market in the UK allowing abstractors to be able to share or trade water with their neighbours, without fear that it might lead to licence reductions. And for other landowners like golf courses and industry who currently use public water supply, having the option to get water elsewhere when it is available why should they have to continue to buy expensive, treated water from water companies to irrigate when it's not needed, uh, that is, treated water is not needed, and when the water companies themselves are struggling to meet increasing demand? It makes no sense. To be clear, this is not about abstracting more from the environment. It's about being more intelligent when taking that which is already allowed for under licence, and to help abstractors mitigate against licence reform which will inevitably see some abstraction volumes decrease. To allow water to be shared from areas where there is plenty, to help out those where water is scarce, and to look at storage to help capture water in the environment during the winter months, creating further resilience against drought, with the Environment Agency continuing their role as regulator to ensure there is no over-abstraction and our precious environment is protected. As a result of Innovate East, Angling Water and Essex and Suffolk Water have given financial contribution towards the cost of developing the cloud platform Wheatley Water Source. This is for a small pilot in the East Anglia area, specifically the Suffolk East water catchment has been selected as it is prone to drought. So, despite the current pandemic, we have been working closely with the water companies, Water Resources East, the Environment Agency and a load of other stakeholders to develop something that is fit for a pilot. And I'm really pleased to say this has been achieved. So what exactly is Wheatley Water Source? Well, it's a cloud platform that allows abstractors to advertise they have water to share, or that they need water, 
or that they are at least willing to explore the possibility of sharing. It also allows those wanting to identify an alternate source of water, like golf courses, to advertise that need. Basically to connect what we are calling donors and recipients of water, where as soon as someone adds a post, all users of weekly water source can see it, and also an email is then automatically sent to those who have claimed a license on the system within a five mile radius. For the pilot, once connected, a conversation between the donor and recipient can take place outside of the platform. They can then return to Weekly Water Source to set up a trade opportunity and move to the next stage. That is where Weekly Water Source comes into its own. It provides an assessment through a simple traffic light system of the trade opportunity, giving feedback on whether or not trade is possible and whether fast trade is possible. Fast trade is the term being used to describe a trade that does not need to be referred to the EA. It is within licence conditions. To achieve this, we have agreed with the EA a set of rules, so a user can be confident that weekly water source does indicate fast trade is possible, then it is. The assessment also gives information as to why a condition has not been met, allowing fast trade. Donor and recipient can then have a conversation and perhaps renegotiate. So, for example, the recipient may be asking for more water than the donor is allowed to provide. They can make the necessary adjustment to the trade opportunity within Weekly Water Source and carry out a reassessment. And hopefully that would then make fast trade possible. At this stage, and when fast trade is possible, the only people that can access the information entered into the system on the trade opportunity is the donor and the recipient themselves. Of course, Licence holders remain accountable for complying with the conditions of their licence, especially as this is a pilot. So, for example, the donor must still determine the allowed trade volume based on what they have already abstracted in the year. Basically, this information is currently unknown to Wheatley Water Source. There will always be occasions when a referral to the EA is needed, and in most cases, this will be for an application for a variation to licence or perhaps to request a new water transfer license and again the platform helps with this when referral is required weekly water source collects the information needed for pre-application to the ea including the ability for a user to upload any supporting evidence this can be photos documents drawings whatever the user wants when ready the user hits a button and the information is packaged together and emailed to the email to the ea's permitting office with a copy to both donor and the recipient Full application is outside of the pilot, as it is a chargeable service by the EA, but is obviously something we would like to look at in the future. As it is a pilot, capturing the outcomes is extremely important, so users will be able to confirm details around the trade or sharing event, and also provide information as to why an opportunity did not go ahead. Information on individual trade events will not be shared. A dashboard and weekly water source shows the outcomes of the pilot. So, for example, the total number of opportunities explored or the volume of water shared. But at a high level, a user cannot drill down to an individual event that they are not involved in. So what next then? The plan is to turn on the platform for pilot on the 1st of December this year. We are now actively seeking abstractors and other parties like golf courses in the Suffolk East catchment to get involved, to register on the site and to associate, if they have licences, their licence to their account. We are happy to talk to anyone interested and can arrange 
online sessions to walk people through registration if they need. For the first month of the pilot, we would like a handful of abstractors to use Weekly Watersource to reenact past trade or water sharing events, to use the platform to assess hypothetical but realistic trades. Then, in early New Year, for everyone in the area to use Weekly Watersource to advertise and facilitate real trade and sharing events. More information can be found on our website, weeklysolutions.co.uk, or you can get in touch with me directly. I thank you for listening and have a great day. So a big thank you to Simon there. And what a fantastic idea. It's one of the issues that has come up time and time again with abstractors. The concern that if they don't use their licensed volume, that they may lose it. So this seems to be an interesting way of using technology to share volumes. So fantastic platform. I'll be really interested to see how the platform develops and when hopefully it gets to a national trial. In the meantime, if you are in the catchments outlined by Simon in East Anglia, then please do get in touch with him. Environmental certification is having an increasing role working with companies and organisations that wish to show that they are improving their environmental standards and looking for third-party validation of the work that they're doing, as well as help and guidance to continue the process. Next, we have Jonathan Withy from The Planet Mark, who is going to give a little bit of background to The Planet Mark and also the work that they are doing with their clients. Here's Jonathan. Morning Tony and thank you for the opportunity for me to share with you some information about the Planet Mark Sustainability Certification. Planet Mark was set up about eight years ago now by our founder and CEO Steve Malkin who sat down with Sir Tim Smith who is the founder of the Eden Project and brought him an idea where he wanted to help originally SMEs the start of their sustainability journey to play a part in this transition to living within planetary boundaries and addressing some of the kind of global issues that we were understanding at the time and not doing enough to act upon um and he said i've got this framework uh, we're going to call it the planet mark to help measure and reduce organizations environmental impacts then maximize the benefit of doing so by engaging staff really meaningfully on the journey and then allowing them to take their passions from outside of the workplace and bring them in but also simultaneously communicate those sustainability achievements um, that those companies were making through the planet mark in order to help them win and retain business because we knew that people increasingly so want to buy from and work from companies that are doing more good. So since 2012, the business case for sustainability was predominantly focused around cost savings and use phrases like where there's carbon, there's costs. But now I think largely due to some regulatory stuff that's coming through, which is always a, a really good driver, but also I think young people coming into the workplace who are incredibly informed and super passionate about kind of changing the world around them and are worried about the world that they're going to be inheriting when they do come into those positions of power so it's kind of up to us uh it's on our watch as steve malkin our founder would say to to make this change happen and start addressing some of these issues like the climate crisis so the planet mark certification itself there's three key areas to what we do there's a measurement aspect and there's an engagement aspect and there's a communication aspect but we're trying to keep things as simple um, and meaningful as possible because especially with SMEs a lot of them don't have a lot of resource to, to focus on these other areas which isn't going to be a direct revenue generator necessarily um, and demonstrating that can be tricky so if I dive straight into what the measurement aspect of things so from a measurement aspect we want to measure 
an organization's significant environmental impacts and kind of convert that into a carbon footprint using the greenhouse gas protocol. It's all an evidence-based third-party verified process, so we would need to review all of the evidence associated with that, like your, your energy bills, your water meter readings, um, waste transfer notes, procurement stuff, invoices, all that, all that thing. So when we build your carbon footprint, we know and you identify significant impacts. When you're supporting you communicating those things, we know that everything is coming from a place of truth and it's super accurate. We then also measure the social value of an organization that it generates. Now, social value is measuring the, the financial contribution or a way in which companies support the communities in which they live and operate in through their activities. Um, so that could be from anything from the classic philanthropic donations to charities to allowing staff to take time and their work time to volunteer within organizations and community-run organizations in areas which they operate and run or further afield if they so wish and what we do, we're doing there is we're wrapping our arms around all of these really cool social activities that a company is undertaking and allowing and putting one fiscal value against that social value that the company is generating. So, for example, we have a, an amazing cleaning company called Green Zone who've been with us for kind of eight years and have cut their carbon with us every year. And last year we started measuring their social value. And they generated about a million pounds worth of social value in their first year of activities of us measuring it. And because they knew and they started to understand actually how to generate more social value, so how to contribute better back to society because of understanding the social value portal and the TOMS framework and actually metrics that how we can measure how we're benefiting society in a better way they were able to double the social value that they generated in the following year to something like 1.8 million or nearly double it some really powerful numbers so that's what we do from a measurement perspective but we also then present this data back in a way that is relatable and people understand it even no matter how carbon literate or energy literate or social value literate you are we'll make everything relatable and digestible because we want everyone from every level of an organization and every level of informedness on these issues to be able to understand these issues and kind of get involved if they want to get involved it's really really important to us and part of the program so that's everything from a measurement perspective. We'll also map your activities up to seven to up to seven of the sustainable development goals, which is a, an overall set of uh, 17 goals set by the UN uh, back in 2015, which covers a broad breadth of sustainability related issues that we have to tackle from now until 2030 as a global society, if we're going to develop in a sustainable way. And we, we love them. They're really cool, um, kind of iconic symbols of progress. Um, and so we want to make it really easy for companies to communicate how they're contributing to the Sustainable Development Goals or the SDGs. So we map them against up to seven, which are related to those environmental impacts that we'll measure for a company. Now, that's everything from a measurement perspective. From an engagement perspective, we do a whole bunch of different things but really we love to get in front of people well currently we're kind of getting in front of people through a screen and show our passions and enthusiasm and positivity that we're going to take this these challenges on right and kind of solve them together collectively but we believe we have all these capabilities um, in order to do and solve these things the power is in our hands we just need to get on and do it
So we have a whole bunch of engagement related activities to, to energize, to build sustainability strategies, to build purpose and value uh, propositions, really engage staff in what it means and embed a culture of sustainability into an organization. We then have two charitable partners, the Eden Project being our founding charitable partner. We, the reason we partner with Eden is because they're, one, they were a recognizable brand at the time and we want this, the Planet Mart to be a similar progress. And the other reason is that when Steve was talking to, to Sir Tim Smith, we understood that the Eden's project's mission is to help connect people better with nature. And that's something that's fundamentally really important to us as well. And I think we as a society, we've become a little bit disengaged and take for granted all that nature provides for us. So we got to look after it better and it can form part of the solution. It has to form part of the solution as well as some amazing technological solutions which we're coming up with. And then Cool Earth is our other charitable partner, which helps protect rainforest with a very ingenious model of empowering indigenous communities who live within the most at-risk rainforest around the world. Um, and we protect an acre of rainforest in every company's name who join the planet market for every year that they're with us and committing to cutting their carbon. That's everything from an engagement perspective. And then from a communication perspective, we want to help tell powerful stories. So we'll give you a whole bunch of marketing team collateral in order to tell these stories and tell what being part of the planet market means to people so it resonates, but also we can provide some bespoke marketing support where our marketing teams meet with your marketing teams and collaborate on how best to communicate the planet mark achievements in a, again in a really really meaningful way the planet mark essentially with all these it's got all these strings to our bows and there's more to it but essentially we are an independent verified symbol of progress for companies who want to be recognized as doing more good and playing a part in solving these challenges and actually, in order to keep the planet mark, you've got to be reducing your carbon by every year by at least two and a half percent. We target by five. Um, we can align with science based targets. We have the zero by 30 strategy as well. And we I get to have lots of amazing conversations with people like like Tony and opportunities to talk to, to an audience about about what we do. But the main thing is that companies just roll at their sleeves and get on with it. We've, we've been lucky enough to work with some really big companies as well as with some really small companies, but we all need to be doing more and we all have a part to play. So a big thank you to Jonathan Withy from The Planet Mark for giving us a, an overview of the environmental certification provided. If you'd like further information on The Planet Mark, their website is www.theplanetmark.com. I'd also like to thank Simon Murray from Wheatley Solutions for the overview of the new water trading platform some really interesting information. Finally, I'd like to thank you for downloading and listening to the ESI Environmental Podcast. Hopefully you found the information contained interesting. If there's anything you would like us to cover, then please let us know. And if you'd like any more information about environmental solutions, you can find out a little bit more at our website. The address is www.esinternational.co.uk.